and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we've got another Super Mega Awesome Movie Review Madness! 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 Been a while since we had one of these. Yeah, we're doing another big bunch of reviews. Um, not so much in theaters, but I'm playing catch up with some of the stuff I missed earlier in the year. So, uh, before we get into that, first up, we've got American Assassin and Mother. Let's get started. This whole thing is just a means to an end for you, isn't it? No. This is just the beginning. I was worried about how this would turn out, and I'm afraid that it's kind of how I predicted it would be. Uh, basically, that it comes off as a direct-to-video quality movie that somehow got released in the theaters. Um, the basic premise here is uh, Dylan O'Brien plays a character who is seemingly just just an average citizen who loses his girlfriend in a terrorist attack so you know you know woman in a refrigerator moment right at the beginning and then he somehow turns that into becoming and you know taking MMA classes and going to gun ranges and becoming you know, a, 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 a trained assassin by himself. And he was planning on joining a terrorist cell and just infiltrating each one of them so he could take them out one by one. It's really stupid. And then he somehow gets recruited by a covert CIA group headed by Sanaa Lathan, who is um, th who was the star of AVP and was the love interest in Blade. And, uh, she is just head over heels trying to get this guy into the program. Like, it's never quite explained why him. Why this guy? Like, they say that, oh, he was able to infiltrate this terrorist cell when we couldn't get a, a foot in, the CIA couldn't get a foot into a terrorist cell. All the guy did was, mm, I'm still breaking down the plot. I'll, I'll talk about the stupid stuff later. Anyway, you know, just because she is her is the guy's superior, Michael Keaton, against his wishes, uh, is has to bring in Dylan O'Brien as one of his recruits. And all the, along the way, Dylan O'Brien gets proven he's a dumbass who has no idea what he's doing and is completely compromised because it's a revenge plot for him. And... He, and yet, despite that, he continually gets rewarded all along the way by being written to be in the right. By saying he does the, things like, because he disobeyed orders, he gets rewarded for it, essentially, by the plot. And while, the, while that's going on, Taylor Kitsch shows up as an ex, uh, one of these kind of covert recruits who uh, wants revenge for being left behind by Michael Keaton. And so he managed to get his hands on a nuke. Yeah, he just gets his hands on a nuke. And is able, and it was, and the whole thing becomes trying to stop the nuke or prevent 
nuclear fallout, I guess, or something. Yeah, something along those lines. Just, wow. And, yeah, all along the way, Dylan O'Brien, despite being a dumbass who has no idea what he's doing, is continually written to be in the right. I have no idea if the book's any good. I heard it's a bestseller. Maybe it's good. Maybe this is one of those in-name-only adaptations sort of things. Uh, but just, wow, man. The CAA is so incompetent, it needs a private citizen who did the same thing that any CIA operative can do. All they did was make contact with a bunch of terrorists through the dark web. The CIA doesn't do that already? That's e that's, do they not know how moles work? Like, this guy's doing something the CIA should be, should know perfect. Should, they don't even need to recruit him. They're they've got, they've, they bugged his apartment. They can see what he's doing. Why don't they just copy what he's doing? Oh God, this movie's so stupid. <sighs> Thankfully, we've got the likes of Michael Keaton to make it interesting because while the entire story of this movie is a dumb person's take on things like the Born Identity, Michael Keaton is there to make it interesting, to make it fun. Because he it, he steals this movie. He's the only reason you would ever want to see it. He has the best lines. He has the best reactions. Like, there's a scene where Taylor Kitsch tries to torture him to, to uh, as sort of, like, revenge for what happened to Taylor Kitsch. Even though Michael Keaton explained that that's what, that's, you know, this is, you are a ghost. You're not, we're not coming for you. Like, Taylor Kitsch didn't, didn't couldn't handle the fact that that, that, that they were, that, that that's the case. Like, oh no, I got captured. He'll rescue me. Daddy will come for me. Except Daddy explained that we're not coming for you. Multiple times. Like, seriously, over and over again. Dude, how do you not get this? Um, but yeah, Taylor Kitsch is torturing Michael Keaton and Michael Keaton's just like, you know, like there's a there's a scene where um and this is graphic. This movie is it it does like its blood splatter and its its shots of you know gore in it and you know uh, Taylor Kitsch rips off one of Michael Keaton's fingernails and after screaming in pain, Michael Keaton's like, I got nine more. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It is truly beautiful to watch him just just tear this movie a new one. By be, you know, by being so over the top, you know, crazy in it, and yeah, this movie doesn't deserve him honestly because it's it is it is a generic uh, direct-to-video quality movie. I mean, if I if we look at who's behind it, we've got Michael Cuesta as the director, who is mainly known for producing stuff, and then he's. And then as far as directing goes, uh, he did Kill the Messenger uh, and most and it's mostly episodes of TV. Like I think Kill the Messenger was the only you know only film production that I've heard of from him as a director. Everything else is pulled director again. Uh, we've got an episode of Billions. 
bunch of episodes of Homeland, True Blood, Blue Bloods, Elementary. He directed the pilot to Elementary. De- episodes of Dexter, TV movies, uh, you know, and then th- and then his only re- thing, his only movies are things I've never heard of: Kill the Messenger and this. So this guy's a TV director for the most part. He's not ready for prime time and. The writers, Stephen Schiff, uh, he did Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and the Lolita adaptation from the 90s. So maybe, but, what the heck? Where the heck, what, what? That was weird. Uh, my, my internet browser just crapped out for a second. Uh, anyway, the other guy wrote Hitman Agent 47, the November, end of the November Man, and was one of the writers on Predators. And he's been announced to be on the writing staff for Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters 2. So yeah, while, the, while Stephen Schiff may be more qualified to adapt a spy thriller, because he also did... um. What was it? Clear. What's the Clint Eastwood movie? True, true crime. So this guy has a has a, and but then also he's written for. He's mostly known recently for writing for TV, The Americans, and Ultimate Rush. So we've got a guy who's mainly known for producing and writing on The Americans, and then a guy who really doesn't have any writing credits to his name. And a TV, and a guy who's directing for TV, and a guy who's mainly known for starring on TV, Dylan O'Brien. No, well, starring on TV and then also doing young adult stuff because Dylan O'Brien is the kid from uh, Maze Runner. And yeah, so the, none of the, you know, the, the this is the not ready for primetime players, as it were, because it it felt like a TV or a DV, you know, direct to video quality movie, and that's what it turned out to be it's what it did not i mean aside from the but you know the production budget and the amount of gore that they 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 were able to show it really did not feel like something worthy of paying 950 uh you know ahead to go in and see so so yeah american assassin like i mean even even when it's not compared to it's better um, you know, predecessors, things like Born and Taken, it's still really, like, Dylan O'Brien is not a charismatic actor. He is, he is just, uh, you know, unlikable throughout this entire movie. Taylor Kitsch may have been able to pull this character off, but damn, does Dylan O'Brien not make me, make me not want to care. He is, I do not care about this kid. And the fact that the CIA, the CIA is so gung-ho about having this unstable, clearly a danger to himself and others agent on their side is mind-blowing. And it's never fully explained why. Other than he does, he does, they don't have to deprogram the kind of stuff that they pick up in basic training through stuff like the Marines and the Navy SEALs. It's it's really stupid. This 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 is really dumb. <laughs> so, American Assassin.
Don't, di don't remember hearing it came out? Don't worry, you're not missing much. It's just never enough. No! While American Assassin, I didn't care about much after seeing it, this one has been giving me some issues about how I want to cover it because who boy is it making the rounds? Um, I think the way I want to break it down is my initial thought, well, my thoughts on it as in general, uh, some spoilers, and then uh, the coverage that it's been getting and my issues with that. So let's get started. Mother, or rather, mother, uh, mother, mother, something, mother with an exclamation point. Which is never really explained why it's titled that either. So, like, what does it have to do with... Well, anyway. Um, yeah, it's the latest from Darren Aronofsky. And like all of Darren Aronofsky's stuff, it's very heady, very um, style over substance, as it were. And uh, it's not terribly made. I'm not going to say it's a it's a poorly made movie. It's not. It's, it's it, it has the qualities of a film going into its production. And the actors aren't terrible. Ed Harris, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, Javier Bardem, Jennifer Lawrence. They're not bad actors. They're, they're good actors doing, doing the best that they can. And it's just, once again, all a matter of the, the fact that Darren, Darren Aronofsky is not that good or compelling of a writer, ultimately. Like, I, I, I may have to go back and revisit Requiem for a Dream, but I feel like Darren Aronofsky puts so much weight into his visuals that he doesn't really write that compelling. Of, like, I'm thinking back to stuff like The Fountain and Noah, and it just, it makes me, it, it, it really makes, it really um, reminds me of those kinds of art films where it's not, where there is no story and it's all about, Try or the story or, or whatever story is there is just really pretentious and thinks it's smarter than it actually is, and for some reason this one really hit. hit uh, I'll get into that in a bit, uh, but yeah, for me, I was kind of okay with it, and the more people talked about it, the more I just don't care. Genuinely, don't care about about what the symbolism is and we'll get into the actual meat of what is going on because it's kind of it's the stuff that needs to be talked about to explain why people are getting so uh, crazy I guess for lack of a better word about it is that uh, yeah, that's all spoiler territory it's very sport you know if unless you want to talk about the actual content of the movie you there's no way to do that without you know to cover why people don't or do like it but for me i was fine with it before and then the longer people talked about it and as much as that shouldn't warrant whether or not i like or dislike a movie you know, movies aren't released in a bubble, you know? Movies by themselves can't 
you know, can't be, can't be, you know, they try, you can try to judge them by themselves, but they're not released in a bubble. They're released in a, a cultural environment, and that cultural environment affects how you view the movie. And, yes, and this has a lot going against it now, apparently. But we'll get into that in the third bit. Uh, next up, let's get into some spoilers, so before you continue... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This was your last warning. We're getting into spoiler territory now. There'll be spoilers ahead, <laughs> as it were. So, the real meat of this story is essentially a biblical allegory, I guess, retelling. It's not, because it doesn't feel like he's really doing much by using the, because it, it's not even a full bi biblical retelling. It's creation, Adam and Eve, Noah, the, the flood, and then cut straight to Jesus. And that's what, and then I guess you could call the end revelations, but I don't get why people are so moved, like moved enough to defend this movie from any negative criticism. But I'll, I'll get into that because ultimately the symbolism as it were the symbolism to quote uh film brain is weak it's it like it compares god to a poet and the and the poem is i guess the bible but the poem doesn't the poem no the, yeah the poem is the bible or the new testament but you know, that's got to be the Bible because it, he's commenting on Adam and Eve in the flood. But the poem is also released as a book, and once again, it's all it's all style over substance. So none of it makes any actual sense. It's very he's he tries to make it very dreamlike, especially since things ha all since Jennifer Lawrence turns around and things change behind her back. So th it's it's trying to be very dreamlike, and. The, but, like, the main motif is that Javier Bardem, as God, is a neglectful husband who doesn't care about anything but his own ego and is willing to put his house and his, and his wife's very existence at risk be, be, so that people will like him, I guess. And... Like at first, I was thinking like maybe this is a, con a commentary on introvert, an introvert dating an extrovert, or fame, or something. But whatever's there ultimately isn't that compelling. Like there's better ways. There are better movies that tackle these kinds of subjects. This movie is not the be all end all of this kind of commentary on you know fame or religion or idolatry or anything like that it's it's ultimately pretty weak honestly it's like like people compare this to like a student film and yeah it's very you know film you know film school 101 style like overt symbolism like 
towards the end, it gets to the point where it's like once the sun is born, then it then people no, it's not the sun. It's after the poem is written. Somehow the house turns into a war zone, and it's hit. So yeah, it's very like once again, I'm not, it's it, it's not the problem. Isn't that it doesn't make sense? The problem is is that its imagery is not as smart as it thinks it is, and yet for some reason, people are blown away by apparently an idiot's guide to biblical symbolism. Honestly, that's 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 how it comes off to me because I I never truth be told, people were saying they had the go, people you know the, the fans of this movie quote unquote were knocking people for having to Google what the hell this movie was about because honestly I never even picked up on the biblical ties to this movie. You know why? Because I don't give a crap about the Bible. I, uh, the Bible, the biblical stories are not so great and amazing that they stick in my mind any time they come up. It would make more sense to to tie things into Shakespeare because at least I'm familiar with Shakespeare. At least there's a Shakespeare has written stories that are worthy of remembering for the most part. What's this crap? You know, it's it, you know just the the Bible is rudimentary. It's chill. It, there's a reason the Bible is taught to children. It's because it's a children's level story. They're not all that deep. Bible stories are not that deep. So, yeah. So yeah, I I have left behind the stories of the Bible because I don't care. They're not all that interesting. So forgive me if they're not at the forefront of my mind when Aronofsky wants to apparently take us back to Sunday school. So, I think that's a that's the big thing. But the main thing I think people, I know um a, a lot of people that I follow online are turned off by the overt just abuse that Jennifer Lawrence has put through. Like nobody really needs to sit through this movie. It's it is a slog, and honestly. The only reason it makes sense is, be, is because of the second act. The second act is the only reason this movie any makes any damn sense whatsoever. And it's it it is it is just Jennifer Lawrence dealing with every level of abuse emotionally from uh, Javier Bardem and then physically from his followers. And why would you want to sit through that? There's a reason people don't want to sit through that. Life is hell enough without having to watch Jennifer Lawrence be abused for two hours. No symbolism is worth that. It's not smart. It's, it's, dis it's disturbing. Especially since Aronofsky and her are married now. So the fact that he puts her through that is is almost raises questions about Aronofsky's as a husband. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that. And then, yeah, it's, it's graphic imagery towards the second, towards the very end of it. When it tries to do like a literal interpretation of transubstantiation, I guess is what they're going for, where people are taking bits of a bait of the quote unquote baby Jesus and eating it. 
it's it's it is so up its own ass with try with trying to I guess point out oh look religion is crazy isn't it yeah dude you're not you know it's like it's like this dude is just discovering the fact that religion is crazy yeah we got it you're not tackling any new ground so I think it's about time we got into my biggest issue which is Holy crap, people are losing their damn minds over the fact that no, that people don't like this movie. They don't like this movie, and how could they? People, I've seen so much freaking gatekeeping and elitist pretension about the fact that audiences don't want to see a movie where Jennifer Lawrence gets tortured for two hours. Over, over rudimentary biblical symbolism? No. Who would want to watch that? Once that came out, nobody would want to watch it. It's not as smart as you think it is. It's rudimentary biblical symbolism, and it's disturbing to sit through. Why would anybody want want to? It's uh, And why does it matter? Why does it matter that people don't like this? That's the That's the big issue. Because people didn't like Noah either. Not as much. You know, they didn't hate... They, they seem to dislike Mother more, but I think Mother is more uh, graphic than Noah was. Noah was just kind of boring, ultimately. Mother is way more graphic and disturbing. So yeah, not everybody's going to be into that. So why do you care that they aren't? Once again... This isn't the best movie Aronofsky's even made. So why are you so adamant that people adore this movie? Who cares? And I know I, I say I don't care. But damn if these people don't make me hate this movie. God damn. If, the, if, the, if these stands don't make me hate this movie. Stan, of course... Uh, being, for those who aren't aware, the, being the internet slang for uh, rabid, uh, overly obsessive fans. Fans who are unwilling to hear any uh, criticism against whatever it is they're a fan of. Taken from the Eminem song of the same name. So yeah, we got a bunch of stands gatekeeping the fact that people, that audiences are stupid and don't get this movie no assholes we get it we don't like it we don't care about it and the fact that you won't shut up about the fact that we don't like it makes us hate it even more like um one of my one of the people i follow on twitter was commenting on the fact that we need to have a talk about the fact that hollywood can't admit its own faults because between blaming Rotten Tomatoes for the low turnout of people this summer at the movies and the cinema score, which is audience ratings uh, after leaving a movie, uh, the fact that Mother, Mother got an F is somehow a commentary on the fact that audiences don't get art movies and 
uh, you know, the and the review media is turning people against movies. No, asshole, we are commenting on what you're putting out. Don't be mad at us for acknowledging your crap. And you know what scares me the most about what uh, how these how these stands have been talking about mother mother uh, this whole time. I saw a disturbing correlation between how these people talk about mother and how some people have have commented on guys like PewDiePie and JonTron and how they say just the most heinous and awful crap. The idea that it's okay for them to say it because they're pushing boundaries. Not everything needs to be so squeaky clean. Life has edges. You know, things... God, you know, because... God forbid you just acknowledge the thing you like is garbage. I do that all the time. I acknowledge things like Pacific Rim are not good. They're not the greatest thing. They're stupid. I enjoy a TV show about ponies. I acknowledge that it's not the greatest thing ever put to ones and zeros, technically, because it's, I think, made in Flash. So, yes, it is okay to admit that the thing you like is not good. That does not mean you shouldn't like it, and that does not make you wrong for liking it. Just acknowledge it. That's all. Claiming that Aronofsky is pushing boundaries by not adhering to whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Genuinely. Why? Why this one? Of all the art movies to throw your throw your you know to throw yourself into that what's the sword metaphor that's forget it it's a bad metaphor um much like this movie bad metaphor for god knows what um just why is this the hill why is this the hill you want to die on why is this movie so worth defending to you because it's the biggest mainstream art because Aaron Aronofsky is the only one who can make who can try and make wide release art mill art movies like what about Nolan isn't Nolan one of your guys well Nolan's another guy who makes movies that are more style over substance and when you start to break them down they don't make any damn sense but people love these guys and I, I and I and it's genuinely baffling. I think Aronofsky's Aronofsky's point is being proven by the overzealous overzealous uh, fans of this movie. The fans themselves are ready to form a religion about this stupid movie, which I guess is just an, once again it's just an, like this Bronze Age book is rudimentary at best. And people still are will die defending it. And this movie is proving that it, it can work just as well with really stupid film school grade level symbolism and a 
big budget Hollywood release. So yeah, this just felt really long-winded and unnecessary, but I feel like it needed to be talked about because you can't ignore this stuff. You really can't. And there's not going to be a discussion this week, so I needed to get this out in the review. So yeah. Mother! Not that, not the best thing since sliced bread. Let's just say that. And whether you want to see it or not, just be aware that it's got its own religious zealots behind it. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Oh! Now, before we get into the catch-up reviews, I did want to talk a quick bit about uh, uh, the Netflix Daredevil series, uh, Season 2. I finished that one, and I wanted to finish my thoughts on it after last time. And then we'll we'll take a quick break and get right into the uh, catch-up stuff. But... For De- for uh, Daredevil season two, I think I see where people were where people fell off. Honestly, the Hand is not that great of a villain. That's not that great of a villainous entity to fight. Just you know, faceless ninjas, just one after another. It's it's not interesting. I mean, when you when in the same season where we got introduced to the likes of Elektra and and the Punisher, the hand is genuinely just cannon fodder. It's not really all that interesting, and the organization itself has been mo- has been turned. Like people don't remember the hand, they remember the Foot Clan from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. More, I'm guessing. Like if you say, "Have you ever heard of the hand?" Eh, I've got hands. Have you heard of the Foot from TMNT? Oh yeah, so much. I love the Foot. Like. People remember the parody more than they remember the actual thing it's parodying. That is that's how that that's how much people think of the hand, and so yeah, I think and and the fact that they're going to be the uh, main antagonist in the Defenders, yeah, I can see why people aren't in, aren't into it. Uh, that being said, uh, I like the story progression. I like the fa- I like where. Uh, it goes with Matt Murdock and and Foggy and uh, Paige, Paige I think. Let me get that. I want to get the names right. Uh, but you know their assistant. I I like where that's going. I like the continuity between seasons one and two by bringing back Vincent D'Onofrio for a guest shot while he's in prison. Karen Page. So there was a page in it. <laughs> there was a page there. Uh, I do like, I do like, um, like, I, I, what was her name? Whoa, I don't need that. I just need the cast list. Uh, she's just in something, too. Uh, she was just in a Hitman's Bodyguard. Where is it? Where is she? Elodie Young. Elodie Young. Uh, she, I think she's perfect as Electra. I think she's way better fit for the role than, um, freaking, uh, What's her name? It's uh, Jennifer Garner. I just think there for a second. Much as it's, much as I shouldn't be associating women with who they're married to, but 
Honestly, it's the only reason I remember Jennifer Garner. She is not that interesting of an actress. I think there's a reason she's she's reduced to basically Christian movies and uh, Capital One commercials. She's just, you know, not all that great. Anyway, um, yeah, I like uh, Elodie Young as Elektra. I I love John Bernthal as as uh, Frank Castle. He he's probably the like of all the Punishers. If you think about it, movie quality aside, I think I pref- I think I love Thomas Jane as the Punisher, even though his movie wasn't the best. Um, who was the other guy? Who was from Warzone? Uh, Ray Stevenson. I think he was a solid Punisher. Dolph Lundgren. I've never seen that, so I can't comment. But John Bernthal really captures. The essence of Frank Castle. So, I mean, I think he is currently the best Punisher while also being the best iteration of the Punisher. Because while Warzone was more just action, like, gore and fun, like, you know, it's it's more fun than anything else. And then Thomas Jane's Punisher was, it's just kind of a really generic comic book movie from the mid-2000s. Uh, this one feels like the best, it's the best written The Punisher has been, it's the most interesting The Punisher has been, and it's the best performance I've seen as a character, as an actor, as The Punisher. Um, I think The Punisher bits were the best part of this season, because they, they, you know, they showcased the, the falling out between Foggy and Matt, they showcased, uh, John Bernthal as an actor, and the fact The Punisher is like this unstoppable force of nature you know gunning down anything in his way that he deems inappropriate that he deems you know unworthy of life you know taking down the people who made you know who ruined his um i like the uh i like the use of clancy brown clancy brown makes a couple of appearances towards the end as uh as uh frank's former commanding officer from the marines i believe marines um I you know I, th- I and I like uh I like the relationship between Electra and Matt and how it correlates to his relationship with Karen. I like the fact that Karen moves from being a, a legal assistant to trying to be a journalist. I I there's great it, this this season has a lot of good things going for it, and I understand the folk the shift in focus from the Punisher to the Hand being kind of its downfall because ultimately the hand are not a great villain group you know they're, they're, they they were born out of the 80s the same era that brought us you know freaking cobra command or is it is it just cobra it's just cobra so you know 80s villains were not the best written and here unfortunately they don't really make them any more interesting they try to tie them into like a yakuza style criminal syndicate but either way the the hand is not that interesting of a villain, but it's part of Daredevil, so of course they're going to tackle it at some point. Uh, hopefully, we get it out of the way now and we can cover more interesting things in like season three and the next arc leading into the Defenders 2 or whatever. So, yeah, Daredevil season two. Yeah, I get why people are, are falling off of it, but I still enjoyed it. I still had fun. So, with, with all that said, uh, we'll be right back and then we'll get into some movie catch up.
out there. Do you know what horror is? You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the gummy cat hat. Don't read the line. Do you know that in the world of the insane you will find a kind of truth more terrifying You're a movie critic, there's a lot to see. New films come out every week and usually by threes. There is only so much time to pay for ticks and snacks. It's not surprising some of them will slip right through the cracks. Bum, bum, bum. Movie catch-up, movie catch-up. That's what we're doing here. Movie catch-up, movie catch-up. See what else came out this year. Try to make this my career. Four years of studying music in college. Totally worth it. I'm a professional, can't you tell? Anyway, yeah, that you like that new bumper music. When I get a more professional setup at some point, I will have to re-record stuff like this. But, um, yeah, we're doing a movie catch-up, and, uh, we've got, uh, six, six movies, six, six movies to catch up on this, on this episode, so let's get it started. Um, first up, I, well, I watched these movies in order of best, of worst to best, essentially. At least what I figured I would like the least versus what I would probably like the most. And, uh, uh, so I started with The Case for Christ, and, oh, Christ. Mm. You know, the one thing I will say for Taron Aronofsky is at least his biblical garbage is symbolic and not literal, because, wow, wow do I not like anything Pure Flix puts out. Just, just, not even in terms of their content in term like what they're talking about which is deplorable when you think about it but just in terms of quality man like they're starting now to team now that they've teamed up with universal i think they're finally starting to get a budget and then like i think their next one is going to have like jaman hansu i really hope that's not a pure flicks joint i really hope they don't get the likes of freaking John Voight, Jaman Hansu, and Greg Kinnear, because that means they might get actual actors at some point. I don't like Jaman Hansu and, I, and Greg Kinnear. Um, just, wow. These guys, they're still doing it. Oh, they're still doing it. So, yeah. Lee Strobel. He's a lying sack of crap and a con artist, but he gets his own movie now. You know, the joys of being a Christian. You get to fail upwards. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Lee Strobel wrote a best-selling, unfortunately, book about his time when he was supposedly an atheist and found the insurmountable evidence of Jesus so overwhelming he could not 
he had to concede that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And better skeptics and better analysts than I have broken down why his method is bullcrap and why he probably never was an atheist even to begin with. Because, wow, he is not good. He is just... He's a t it makes me wonder how bad of a journalist he was because he has no idea how to portray an atheist. You know, it's, it, is, it is almost laughable how terrible he is at trying to disprove Jesus because any, any actual skeptic worth his weight can poke holes into the religion into their religious dogma he just chooses not to he would he would rather tackle standard christian apologetics than he would actually than he would actually question whether or not G, you know G, the story of jesus held any weight uh but yeah the movie itself it's got a budget it's definitely got some decent budget it's just, just, genuinely, this is one of the worst movies that came out this year for me. Because even though it was made well enough, most of the bad movies that came out this year were made well enough. It's, once again, down to the content. And this movie, should, these movies should not be getting wide releases. What this These movies are propaganda, pure and simple. They're just propaganda to be played for willing Christian audiences. And why are we doing this? Why are they making the Christian audiences pay for the thing when they could just as easily show these things in churches like they used to? Look, that's the thing. These kind of fluff pieces that are bolstering Christ, you know, the evangelical mindset, those used to just be played in churches. They didn't get wide releases. They were put out in the theaters. Theaters were saved for actual movies. But no. No, we got... This crap gets put out in theaters like it's an actual movie. And no, it's not. It's propaganda. Pure and simple. You can like it or if you want, just... It's propaganda. It's not... It's all it is is for for Christian audiences to nod their heads and be like, Mm-hmm, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's preaching to the choir. Literally. It is literally preaching to the choir. I mean, I mean, Christ, do you want to talk about audiences being challenged? You'll, you'll never see a Christian audience ever challenged by Christian filmmakers. So, yeah, case for Christ. Do I really need to say it's It's from Pure Flex Entertainment. Do I really need to say anything more about that? It It's exactly on the level with their other crap. So let's keep on moving, keep on trucking to the next thing I watched. Which was everything, everything. And I will say it's not the worst young adult love story that I had to sit through this year. I think that's that mantle is still being held by the space between us. The space between us was genuinely awful for me to sit through. Not that the movie itself was bad, just it just me I could not stand that story. And those actors. It's everything about it reeked of just Hallmark grade schlock. Here, it's the fault in our stars light. Uh, that's that's what it made me think of the most. 
It made me think of The Fault in Our Stars, and whereas The Fault in Our Stars had interesting characters and solid dialogue and, you know, development and plot, this doesn't have those. It's... Re and I think the other thing it reminded me of was Me Before You, which is another one I could not stand. It was reprehensible. Uh, this isn't that, but the trip to Hawaii on a credit card that she just signed up for. So apparently, and she signed up for the credit card months in advance because they show that there's a passage of time. So how was she paying off the line of credit to keep the credit card active? Like this movie, I said it before, I've said it, I, I swear I've said it out loud, maybe I haven't, but the fact of the matter is, Rocco's Modern Life has a better understanding of how credit works than this movie. That's that's say that was in the nineties that Rocco's Modern Life basically explained how credit works. It's it's it's, a, it's an exaggerated form of it. You know they don't. I don't think they ne they all they literally come to your house and repo everything that you purchased. But I'm assuming it's something. They do come and they repossess things that you purchased because you couldn't afford them because you weren't paying off your credit because you have a bill due. So they have to repossess the items that you purchased in order for you to work off the credit that you lost. And, you, and it does, still doesn't tackle the fact that the credit that your credit score will be destroyed if you don't if you, if that if that if that sort of thing happens. This movie basically gives this girl a magical money p money pile for her to spend as she sees fit, and it's never acknowledged. Especially after the the really really bad twist at the end, how her life is literally destroyed probably because she's an eighteen year old who signed up for a credit card, didn't probably didn't pay it off, and yet is still somehow having has this the 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 means to travel to Hawaii and from L A to New York. Like where is this money coming from? Like she, all, it, all it says is that she went to school for like architecture and stuff and that she writes about books on a blog. Where's the money coming from? What, is she selling drugs on the side? Like, where's the money coming from, man? Is she, is she selling out like Twitter bots or something to, to, to the Russian government? Where's the money? Where's the money coming from? I want to see her accounts, damn it. Oh... Uh. This movie is so stupid, especially the twist. Like, if you haven't, if you don't know the twist, uh, you can look it up. But basically, the twist amounts to gaslighting. I'll say it at that. I'll just leave it at that, and you can probably piece together what the twist is if you haven't heard it already. But basically, the poor girl's been gaslighted her whole life, and we're supposed to feel sorry for the person who did that to her because she's been through bad things too. Wow, this movie is badly written. And I'm, I'm guessing the book is probably no much, not much better if it's following it to any length. So, everything, everything. Thankfully, it's not the worst thing to come out in adult... You know, thankfully for people who like it, it's not the worst thing that you could like in young adult romance this year. I still say that's the space between us, but that's a personal preference. Maybe the gaslighting thing... Hit you the maybe the gaslighting thing is enough for you to say no screw this movie and I would not blame you 
Because, yeah, screw that. That's another thing I forgot to mention. And there's some, There were talks of gaslighting in Mother. Um, how Harvey Bardem was essentially gaslighting Jennifer Lawrence. And I can see that. I can definitely see that. And it's another reason why... You, you know, you I could I could see people not liking it, and you shouldn't hold it against people for not liking a thing if it's if it's reprehensible if it's talking about things that are reprehensible, especially for stupid biblical symbolism. I'm still talking about mother, mother. Uh, God, that, God, those people. Nothing makes you hate a movie more than the than stupid, stupid fanboys. Nothing makes you hate, nothing makes you hate anything more. There's a reason I stopped getting into the My Little Pony fan base for a while because that place was toxic. Fans ruin everything. So let's continue the catch up. After everything, everything was gifted. And while I have problems with gifted, I will say it's not as bad as the previous two. It's not very well done. It's more incompetent than it is. Uh, uh, then it is terrible. So, yeah, the basic premise there is Chris Evans uh, takes oh, takes guardianship, ultimately, legally, of his niece. And his niece is just, just the smartest thing ever. She is just amazingly intelligent. And he decides, despite the fact that she is seven, seven years old, he puts her in the first grade. So she's already a year ahead of her peers. And then he expects her to socialize? While she's while, while the rest of them are trying to learn basic arithmetic and everything else? Like this girl's proven to be wildly, wildly more cognizant than any kid her age should be. So the idea that you put her in the first... Like, that's the thing about this movie. Everything that happens is because apparently Chris Evans' character is too stupid to realize, hey, if I do something this stupid, I might lose my niece. And he was a college professor. He, he, both he and his sister were supposed to be genius-level people. And yet, he can't, and yet he can't figure out that, oh... If he take if if I take a really low paying job with no in with no benefits, I might lose and it's found and this is found out, I might lose my niece. Like, dude, you're a professor. You should know things like this. You could take a low level teaching job, dude. Or is it like he doesn't even change his it would be one thing if he changed his name. And that's why he couldn't use his teaching credentials? He never changes his name. He just takes a low-paying job with no benefits because apparently he's an idiot. That's the thing about the... The whole writing behind Gifted is very... Is very, like, first draft. Like, ultimately, the story should... The story... The movie ends with her in college and in Girl Scouts to socialize with kids her own age. Why wasn't that the point for the beginning? Why isn't that the starting point? Like, this movie would make more sense and be much better if she was in, like, community college or something. 
and or like in high school and she was being challenged more that way and then she was also in stuff like Girl Scouts or like a local band or doing community theater or something and it was just rudimentary stuff for that sort of stuff it's you know it's not it's not pushing her to the best of her abilities but it's allowing for her to socialize while also continue her academia at a, at a reasonable clip. And and let's say uh, Chris Evans' character gets caught in a bar fight or something. They say he gets caught in a bar fight in the movie. So like, let's say that that's the reason that the mom decides to enter into the picture. The idea that He's managed to lay low from her, make, allow this girl to live a seemingly normal life, and the mom comes in and tries to whisk her off into uh, the world of academia, the world of really high-end academia, which is, which is what Chris Evans felt that the mom didn't want, his sister didn't want. That would make more sense given this, that would make more sense given the premise that you want to say, that she doesn't need to be in high-end academia, she just needs to be a normal person but the way that this movie tries to present normal is like poverty like they, he wants her to live in poverty why and what and he, he makes her go to school at the first grade what did she test out of the first grade like wouldn't she have tested well into high school like that's the thing about this movie it doesn't make any sense when you try to break it down and it feels like these questions should have been thought of in the writing process not by somebody sitting and sitting watching the movie as it's being presented to him you know uh that being said it's not the worst thing ever so i don't you know i'm not gonna say this movie is terrible it's just once again the writing needs to be fixed and it could have been fixed in later drafts but for some reason this draft felt people felt was just fine so here you go. There you go. There's a better movie in here somewhere, but it's not what we got. That being said, what we got wasn't terrible, so whatevs. Um, after that, I watched Colossal. Uh, which was something I... I think it came out last year, technically, but it didn't get wide release around me until this year. So, uh, it's, a, it's an independent movie about Anne Hathaway as a millennial stereotype, let's be honest. And she discovers that she has a sort of psychic connection to a giant monster who appears in South Korea. And there's the, you know, they give reasons for it, but it's ultimately about Anne Hathaway working through her problems as, as the character Gloria. And... I was excited about this movie. I figured it was going to be a case of her her going drunk, her uh, getting blackout drunk was the reason that um, that these that these uh, monster attacks happened, and that it was like a Jekyll Hyde thing. But sadly for me, anyway, it turned out to be more generic. Like there was an incident in her childhood that somehow caused the thing and it doesn't reoccur until she returns to her hometown but yeah i don't know that that, that was i guess just my own expectations uh i was expecting something more along the lines of what they were showing in the trailer 
and more along the lines of what they were talking about in the first half of the movie than what ultimately they revealed it to be. But I will say it's it, it's got a lot of stuff going for it. It's not it's not my, one of my favorite movies, although I do still love the premise and I would love to see something explore this idea of humans being uh, being proxies for kaiju more. You know, I mean, you see some like. Not just, you know, mech suits, like the stuff you see in Pacific Rim or, or um, not Anflux, that's, that's not, that has nothing to do with mechs and kaiju, uh, but uh, Neon Gen Genesis Evangelion and, um, you know, uh, Gundam, things like that, you know, where it's like, because, I mean, anybody can power a mech, ultimately, you know, it's a, that's not the thing. I'm talking about, like, psychically linked to a giant monster, where their, their actions control the monster, and it's not just them in the robot suit it's them controlling things like in this movie where it's like a giant tree monster it almost looks like the it almost looks like an ent or um or like one or like the monster from a monster calls but you know things you know so things like that and um but yeah it, the, what we got was interesting enough i will say it's it is still like not to say that millennials have 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 don't have interesting troubles but or that they don't have problems period i mean i've got eyes i can see where right where we've got problems all around they're also they're, mo they're all systemic ultimately and you know all our major problems are ultimately societal and systemic so i mean millennials have to deal with the things around them more than they have to deal with their own issues uh although they do have their own issues but once again like gloria's issues in this movie are not really they they, they reek of mumblecore although it's not a, it's not tradition it's not mumblecore it's mumblecore adjacent and mumblecore for those who aren't aware is it's what got michael Sarah his start it's that sort of soft-spoken like shoegazing level of indie movie where they don't really have you know there's not a lot being said and it's more like it, it's a weird aesthetic where it's very soft-spoken and very personable but it's not very interesting and they try to play your problems off like that but ultimately it doesn't really get interesting until they start to talk more about jason sudeikis character oscar and when we start to find out more about oscar which you can kind of peg oscar for being the bad guy essentially from the beginning because he really comes off as one of those kind of guys where he likes to play the nice guy until he doesn't get what he wants, and then he just he can't handle it anymore. Just, just douchebag to the nth degree. Just high quality douchebaggery from Oscar, and thankfully Oscar gets exactly what he deserves. I, I if you watched my munch along, if you followed me on Twitter, I did munch alongs for all of these, and as I was watching Colossal, you could kind of tell I was having an issue with oscar let's put it that way uh i wanted him to die i genuinely wanted this character to just have a gruesome and painful death because man had it coming the man had it coming he had it coming he had it coming he only has himself to blame uh i was a musical kid could you tell could you tell uh could you tell it's a theater kid um, anyway, yeah, Oscar gets what's coming to him, thankfully, and it's in the, in the end, if you followed me 
when they revealed what exactly was going on, I was like, oh, they're gonna do it. Oh, is this what's gonna happen? Is this is this how they're doing it? Is this how they're gonna do it? Oh my god, is this how they're gonna do it? Is this it? Is it? Yeah, the payoff is beautiful and glorious. Ah, so colossal. There's a better movie in this premise to be made, but what we got was fine. What we got was good. You know, Anne Hathaway, you know, is takes an interesting turn from, you know, kind of standard millennial to somebody who has to acknowledge, you know, acknowledge the problems that come with having this level of power with her. And it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not, it's not the best movie, but it's a, it's a solid movie. I, I dug it. And then uh, the last couple things I watched were both train spotting movies because I hadn't seen the first movie and I wanted and I needed to f catch up and see if the sequel was any good. So I watched the first train spotting and damn that movie! Like wow, holy crap! Is it stylistic as hell? And it's 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 f it, like I, I get why people have trouble understanding. <laughs> The Scottish accent, especially when it's that fast-paced. It's so quick. It's so energetic. Despite the fact that it's about taking heroin, which you'd think would slow it down. But, yeah, like, train spotting is so just on it. And you could tell why so many people were, were influenced by it and, and wanted to try and make movies like that. It is pure 90s aesthetic. And... And it's not, it doesn't hold up perfectly. There's a weird transphobic scene in like the, the second or third act uh, where uh, Begbie ha has a, has a ha starts making out and then he finds out the woman is uh, trans or is cross-dresser. Once again, they never really go into it. It's, it's played up as a joke. It's like, I'm gonna put the... It's, it's so unnecessary. And, uh, and once again, that's... Pro that's, that's People were doing that. Friends had a th made having a trans parent as a joke. Like, that was the joke. Was that Chandler was uncomfortable with the fact that his dad transitioned into being a woman. The 90s were not good to trans people. Like, the best representation they may have got, if you call it that, was Boys Don't Cry. And even then, that's more like a torture porn for, for people who... Uh, for people, for trans people, just wow. Nineties and and before then were not good to trans people, especially the nineties, because that's when they started to get acknowledgement. Anyway, um, train spotting. Aside from that weird diversion, it it's it. I get it. It's 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 a solid movie. It's a great. It's a, that's not even a solid. Probably one of Danny Boyle's best movies, and. You know, it's 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 like it's got punk aesthetic. It's got it 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 does it does what so few people do, which is try to tackle the drug thing. Where it's not just escapism; it's it's enjoyment because that's the thing. People don't want to acknowledge it. They want to do the they want to run the drugs are bad. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, choose life is mocked is mocked incessantly and for good reason because. It's such a hallmark sentiment that ignores the fact that people are in pain, and they choose and they choose to nullify that pain with a drug that it was used to nullify pain—an opiate. 
Yeah. It doesn't like those all those programs, Dare and the Choose Life uh, thing, and all of the Nancy Reagan era sort of anti-drug messages. None of it acknowledges the real issues behind why people take drugs. It just tells you not to take them. And then you wonder why none of it worked. It's all sentiment and no substance. Saying a lot of something over substance lately this episode. At any rate, uh, yeah, Train Spotting is, is an excellent movie. Not perfect, but there's a reason why it still holds. There's a, there's a lot of it that still holds up. Um, especially just the weirdness of it. Uh, the sequel doesn't really go into those weird bits. Uh, mainly because they're all sober, but. Uh, for what we got, I can, I, I don't, I, I don't think we could possibly conceive of a better sequel. Like, I don't know what you would do with a sequel to this that could be anywhere better than what we got. Uh, the sequel being, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor's character Mark returns after his failed marriage and he has to deal with the fallout of stealing the, the thousands of pounds from his buddies and the fact that, uh, Spud uh, his one friend that he left money for at the end of the last movie is going in his own downward spiral and had to be saved. Um, uh, uh, there's bits about uh, Mark and Simon trying to open a brothel, which don't pan out. Uh, Simon's dominatrix girlfriend, uh, Veronica, uh, it plays a part. She uh, convinces Spud to write memoirs that are hinted at being the impetus for the move for the book train spotting uh and then big b escapes from prison after uh, i think he ended up in prison in the last movie i'm not sure but he manages to escape from prison and wants revenge against mark for stealing money from them and it's 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 a it, while while the first movie was about the punk aesthetic and dealing and being in your late and being in your twenties in the nineties, this is this is that for adults. This is twenty years later. Twenty years of life have affected these guys, and you know that they still have to deal with they still have to deal with their addictions and they still have to deal with their problems. Like they do, they do go back to heroin for a short spell, and it's it they, they, you know they their their actions in the first movie have consequences ultimately. And yeah, it's a solid movie. You know, I, I, I don't think we ever needed a sequel to Train Spotting, but the fact that we got one that it's this good is amazing. Because think about it: how many times, aside from Mad Max Fury Road, how many times has a sequel been made twenty years after the fact and been any good? Like, really, aside from Fury Road, what else is there? So, yeah, the fact that it's 20 years later and it's, you know, a continuation of the story and still a decent movie, yeah, good job. You didn't make a terrible sequel to cash in on the 90s nostalgia. You actually made a continuation of the storyline in a logical progression. Good for you guys. You did good. And uh, the only thing I will say is that I'm sad that Diane, uh, the high school girl that Mark dates... In the first movie, and uh, and a Gale, who's played by uh, Shirley Henderson, best known as like Mo Moaning Myrtle, 
she is apparently she was Gail in the first movie, and I missed that. But Gail and Diane don't make any appearances. The only real prominent female character is Veronica, and I, that kind of sucks. But at the same time, it was a very a very male centric movie the last time too. So it's not surprising that the female characters got even less screen time now. But it, it kind of stuck. It kind of sucks. Like maybe a couple of scenes with uh, Gail and Spud trying to trying to deal with their problems, but just, I don't know. But at any rate, T2, what's, that's the other thing. It's T2 train spotting, which I think is based on like the subway or the train like platforms. T2 is a platform in Scotland or something, but I'll be damned if that doesn't make me think of Terminator 2. Like at some point while they're in their drunken stupors, Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up and it's like, your clothes, give them to me. Uh, so yeah, T2 train spotting, probably the best we're going to get out of a sequel, but ultimately not necessary. Like, like it's, I, I, I don't, once again, like how many times do these kind of stories warrant a sequel? You know, it's, it, the first movie ended on such a perfect note that I don't think we needed to know more about what happened, but what we got was good. So good on them. And that deal that catches me up with most of 2017. I think the only things I'm missing now are Born in China, the Disney Nature movie. We've got where's the here we go movies I missed. Uh, we've got How to Be a Latin Lover, Megan Levy, Phoenix Forgotten, The Promise, Resurrection of Gavin Stone, and Unforgettable. So. We got about so there's going to be a couple more catch-ups uh, in the next couple of months uh, as I as we head into uh, the end of the year. I don't know if Resurrection of Gavinstone counts because it. I don't even think it got a play here. Maybe not. It may not have. So I may be able to skip that. That's another pure flicks Christian movie. So, but if I could skip, if it, if it's at all possible to skip that, I would love to. But we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, we'll see if it even comes out on video in time. It may not. So uh, I'll keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll do some more movie catching up later. But that about does it for this week. So let's do some trailer talk, and then we'll end it out. So uh, we got four four movies set for wide release. So while we got two movies this weekend, next movie next week is going to be a full it's going to be a, a a full slate with a side of dessert. It's going to be the full plate, the full meal with a side of dessert. Essentially, um, slated for release, we've got Friend Request, which is the horror movie about Facebook, because we're still doing that. Uh, Kingsman: The Golden Circle, which I'm going to be seeing that Thursday night with my nephew. I know, I know that's going to happen. That is going to happen. Uh, the Lego Ninjago movie, which I'm interested to see how they do. That. I'm, I'm Lego. The Lego movie, the Lego animated movies are slowly becoming. One of my favorite franchises so far, between the first movie and Lego Batman, I want to see how. I let's see if this Ninjago movie keeps it up, and then uh, Stronger, which was about uh, one of the Boston bombing victims. So first up, let's tackle the Kingsman. Kingsman, the Golden Circle. We're from the Kingsman I will say this remix with uh, Maybe my generation is excellent. Eh, CG, CG's not as good. 
The CG it feels unpolished for some reason. Maybe it's because it's an early trailer and it'll look better on the final product. Say goodbye to the Kingsmen. Kind of got a bit of a save the world situation here. Welcome also, I love that the American correspondent is statesman. Side by side. Let's get started. We've got brains, skills, skipping rope. I will say these fight scenes look amazing. Also, the flask grenade, just everything about this. Laser lasso! Great cast lineup, too. Yeah, I, I dig the hell out of this, and I can't wait. Uh, so I do I do think it's sad that they gave away the you know the the reveal at the end of the it was at the end of the first trailer, and then now it's just all in the marketing because Colin Firth gets top billing again. So way to give it away, guys! Way to spoil it. Yeah, Colin Firth is back. Wouldn't that have been a nice surprise? Oh well, nature of the beast, I guess. Uh, it does make me wonder, like, is there a Japanese version of this that's, like, that's something like this, like, uh, Samurai or Ninja? You know, what are the other nations' versions of the Kingsmen and the Statesmen? Like, what else, what else do they have, what else does the world have? They have, there have to be correlating agencies like this around the world, right? Come on! This, this, I would love to see every iteration of these organization, of this kind of organization. It's, ah, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm excited. And my, I know my nephew's really excited. He adores the first Kingsman. Uh, and this looks even better. This looks just as good, all the good parts, with hopefully less of the bad parts. So we'll just have to wait and see, but I, I really am excited for Kingsman. So that'll be my Thursday night release, most likely. And uh, the rest of the stuff, I'll have to catch up on the rest of the weekend. Uh, next up, the Lego Ninjago movie. Hey, Mom. Um, can we talk about Dad? What's my name? Dermadon! So, when you guys got together, was Dad always... I will say this, this animation is really fluid. Up. He had so many plans. He was so ambitious. He said he wanted to conquer the world. I thought it was a figure of speech. <laughs> but if I had never met Garmadon, I would have never had you. Outcast by day. His dad ruins everything. <laughs> Hero by night. Students, a true ninja knows when to fight and when to blend in the shadows. 
unbelievable. It's almost Power Rangers esque the way they're the way they're they act up. From the team that assembled the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. Nobody's parents are perfect. Yeah, but I feel like there's more to Garmadon that I need to know. To understand your future, you must go back to your ninja roots. Your dad was a ninja too. Comes an epic tale. You hear that? We've awakened the unstoppable beast. Meowthra. Aww. Yeah, I... Of good and dad. Uh, once again, like, don't reveal cool stuff in the trailer. Just let us discover, let us be surprised. I haven't felt this good in a long time. Lloyd, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was my arm. Is, is it bad? Is it bad? Whoa. I don't want to look. A scale of one to ten, how bad is it? Oh, I'd say it's about a seven... Point arm ripped off. <laughs> this film is not yet rated. Uh, I would assume it's just PG, but whatever. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I have been hearing complaints about uh, the fact, like, they're fans of the original Lego Ninjago franchise that where it was taken a lot more seriously, and people are. They have the they have that same feeling that uh, that people had when Teen Titans and well not Powerpuff Girls because that was more of a comp that was a, an action comedy, but yeah especially Teen Titans between Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go I feel like the Ninjago fans are feeling the same way about this movie where it's a, you know it's playing up the comedic aspects and not the um, not the cool ninja style like. Um, action stuff that they liked about the franchise initially. But, you know, I, I guess it's just, once again, the nature of the beast. The fact that Warner Brothers knows that the comedy is what worked with the first Lego movie and they want to continue that comedic style with these movies. So, something like something more serious like Ninjago or these other spin-offs that Lego does aren't going to get are going to be taken as are going to be written as comedies and and that's unfortunate for people who liked the the sort of more serious take on these things although it's a toy line so how serious can you really take it ultimately uh, anyway fans ruin everything once again <laughs> no, no offense to the ninjago fans you know whatever it's just whatever anyway uh next up let's take a look friend request Honestly, a zero friends makes it sound more like that they're a bot than they are a person. Why did you accept my friendship? This feels like it should have been made a decade ago when when this sort of stuff was brand new. Suicide. If you wanted the video uploaded, I urge you not to watch it. 
I saw the medical report. It is insane. So according to you, Ms. Woodson, this video just magically appeared on your timeline. I'm not posting this. Did you try changing your password? Yes, yes, I've tried everything. She's even back in my friends list. You have no idea how crazy that is, do you? That is what code normally looks like. The ghost is in the code! This isn't code. The ghost is in the code! She's in the Matrix now! It's possessing and haunting them. Yeah. Yeah, this looks so dumb. This is gonna be so dumb. This is gonna be so dumb, you guys. Oh, it's gonna be so dumb. Uh, yeah, I mean, unfriended was one thing, like, it was an interesting take, especially since it was done it was filmed like it was on the screen the whole time and you were watching a skype conversation as these things as these horrible things happened this looks really you can't make facebook scary you know what's really scary about facebook the fact that people buy into the stupid things that that happen on that site this this kind of like friend requests like th that was played out when south park made fun of it why why is this a thing why are you trying to make facebook scary because it's a thing like i get horror horror writers love to invert things and make them scary it's what stephen king does all the time just some things you can't make scary honestly you're not gonna like i doubt if i talk to actual kids and teenagers who i'm guessing this film was geared towards they would probably be laughing alongside me because this is stupid, especially since most of them are on like Snapchat and Instagram now. So why is it Facebook still? Facebook's what your grandma uses now. Ay, <laughs> uh, they shows how much Hollywood pays attention. So last up, stronger than yesterday. Dun, 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 dun. I have how the Britney song goes. Anyway. Don't usually see the green slate ahead of the trailers on YouTube anymore. Listen up. This young lady here is running the marathon for bringing a women's hospital. So skip around to Stella and donate to a good cause. Yeah, it's not the best bastard accent. I'm going to be there at the finish line for you. I'm going to make a big sign for you. I didn't show up for anything. <laughs> and then he shows up. There was an explosion, and his legs, they're gone, bro. Basically inspiring true story. Welcome home. Is it good to be back? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, talking to you. What are you doing? Dancing. You try and make a hero out of me. You need to tell your family what's going on with you. Take my mom. Lost changes us. 
I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. This is the first time you're in this week and you had three appointments. You just have to show up for Show once. up! I showed up for you! Tragedy tests us. You remind me of my son. He died. Helping you made me feel like I could help my son. And for that I am grateful. You're grateful. Strength defines us. You showed the world that they can't break us no matter what the hell they do. There was this time in the hospital when I, I just want to give up. And we'll rise up. Look at this. Boston Strong. And now, I just want to live. Academy Award nominee Jake Gyllenhaal. Tatiana Maslany, Miranda Richardson. Let's see how amazing my son is. I'm gonna walk, you know, I'm gonna walk with you again someday. So, yeah, I, I've talked before about the fear that Hollywood mining these things is going to turn into like tragedy porn where it's like, oh, isn't this inspiring? Give us all of your money. You know, that sort of thing. And I will, I do, I will say that I'm glad it, ha it hasn't fully happened with 9-11. Like there was a short period where they tried it and, no, and everyone's had a vehement reaction and they they've they really haven't tried to tackle it again. Um, this looks hey, it looks good. You know, I'm not, I, I will say it doesn't look at, like the trailer. It's definitely, especially the "We Will Rise Up" song that definitely tries to play into the whole inspirational message of it. But for what we're seeing, uh, let me see who all is involved. Uh, David Gordon Green. Why do I know that name? Pineapple Express and all the real girls? This is the director of Pineapple Express. And our brand is Crisis. What is he doing directing an inspirational, like, Oscar bait movie? What? What? How's the... How does this happen? How does the the dude from Pineapple Express go from start making like like awards bait movies? What the hell? Where is this coming from? And like he's he's he he's producing Vice Principals over on I think HBO or something. And it, it, it's uh, what? How the how the what the what? I'm confused. Um. John Polono seems to be the screen main screenwriter. Uh, he he's written he's an actor on This Is Us, and this is his first writing credit. Okay then. So I don't know what to expect by this from this because we've got first time writer and the guy from Pineapple Express. I don't know what to expect of this. I don't know what to expect from this. I don't know if this is going to be good or not. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, those are the trailers. 
And uh, that, with all that out of the way, it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to our podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date with all of us and all of our other fine programming, go to GumbyCatNetworks.com and click on all and check out all of our other fine programming there. Things like I do my Tragic Missile Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I do a Japanese pop culture podcast called Maji Day. Uh, with Mike from Game Kiwi, I do uh, Phantom of the Podcast with Vanessa Van Alstein, uh, and there's all kinds of stuff. There's Ultimate Showdown, which is fight battle to the death tournament style, only it's done via, you know, debate. Uh, we've got uh, Art I Swear. We've got um, we've got Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, which you just heard. Uh, once once more with feeling about Buffy. We've got. All kinds of stuff available for you to peruse. So go to GumbyCatNetworks.com, G-U-M-B-I-E, CatNetworks.com, and check out all of our fine, other fine programming. And if you're not going to us or our website, you're probably using some application going through us through iTunes or Google Play or through a third-party app. I use Overcast. I've used Downcast in the, in the past. Uh, you know, Whatever app you're using, uh, check us out. Just look for Popcorn Junkie, and if you see my orange mob chomping off the popcorn staring at the movies, and you see the little G with the cat ears and a tail in the bottom, that means you're listening to the most up-to-date feed of ours. And uh, if you're listening, whatever pro- uh, program you're using to listen to us, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review uh, to let people know that you like this thing and that they should check it out. I haven't gotten a new one on iTunes for a while, but uh, if, if you do post one and you let people know... I will do my best to share it on the next episode. I need to find a way to get Google Play and all these other application uh, ratings in. Anyway, uh, if you if you also want to share us without leaving a five-star rating and review, just share us on social media. We have a social media homepage at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. There where, my, where I make my big announcements like new episodes and, um, and uh, when I'm doing something special like going to... Uh, going through um, the munch-alongs, like I said, or when I'm seeing new movies. Facebook's for the big announcements, and it allows you to share the podcast and tell people to check it out. Uh, but if you want to keep in regular contact with me, check me out over on Twitter at, at CornJunkiePod. Uh, there I will do not only... There you'll not only get the Facebook feed, but you'll also get uh, the munch-along and trailer talk. Trailer talk is when I comment on trailers that I'm seeing in the theaters, and the munch-along is when I comment on a movie. It's it's as I'm watching commentary. And uh, it's it was it was interesting last night. Just all of yesterday going through all these movies. But that all being uh, so if you want to keep and that's where I'm also in contact with other reviewers and other people like, you know other other uh, uh, profiles that I admire that I either admire or that I find relevant to the podcast. And if you want to keep in contact with me there, just, you know, head on over to Twitter, follow at CornJunkiePod, and uh, get in touch with me. And if there's anything else you want to get in touch with me over, any kind of feedback you want to he- want me to hear, any kind of uh, messages you want me to relay, anything I can do to improve the podcast, things, anything of that nature, send your messages to PopcornJunkiePodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and don't mind the cat noises. Beaker had, was playing with a little ball and had, had to get his little energy out, and he, now he's lying on the couch seeping. <laughs> <laughs>
He's my CB little bay fur buddy. He's my fur baby. I swear, if anything happens to him, I'm going full John Wick on somebody. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Cat got under the desk. Here, let me start over. <laughs>